friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Akira, Alex Dandino. <laughs> yeah, Alex Dandino, him of the littlest, wimpiest motorcycle. Uh, as always, guys, if you find us somewhere where you can leave a rating and review, please uh, do that for us. It helps as we ascend to the next level of human evolution. Also, you guys have socials. We have socials. We're all hip young kids hanging out here on the interwebs. Hell yeah. Uh, so if you can share us with your friends, guys, your movie-loving buddies, if we talk about one movie they like or they like all movies like us, uh, let them know to listen to The Alchemist and continue to share this. Like a chain email gone wrong. Not that that makes me sound old. Also, you can reach us at <laughs> filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your ideas uh, for movies we should cover, lists we should do, double features, movies in the movie theaters you'd like to see us cover, any and all we want to be where you guys are. Also, uh, Film Alchemist has a letterbox list that keeps track of all the movies we've done and all the movies we're planning on doing. Uh, another great way to stay abreast of what's happening on the pod. All right. This is week two of the pod gets animated. Princess Mononoke. What a lovely journey through murder and so awesome. raping and pillaging of nature. This week. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. This week we're tackling nature, but human nature, perhaps uh, with to me, easily the greatest animated film of all time. If not just one of the best movies, period, of all time, Akira. Alex, oh, yes. opening thoughts on Akira. I mean, Akira is just one of those, it's it's iconic for a reason, you know? Like, it's one of those movies that I think is, it's, it just blows me away every time I see it. There's never a time when I don't watch that movie that I feel like I'm not seeing something fresh, something kind of new. And I know that's kind of weird, but at the same time, like I notice little things differently every single time, like, and also every single frame of that movie has been derided from over the years by any other action oh movie God, that's come yeah. out. I mean, this is like the, this is the patient zero of all this was, this is this released in 1988. This yes. is the patient. This is the patient zero for every single major animated release since then like and it other than like probably disney movies because this was right at like this was the year before the little mermaid came out so there's disney and then there's this and this honestly might inform like a lot of anime but there's a lot of like live action films that have borrowed from akira like a lot oh yeah it's to amazing me, it's, it's one of those uh treadstone movie moments for cinephiles right there is your life yeah. before Akira and your life after. And you see Akira and you're like, what the fuck? So I think a lot of people, when you're young, you're trying to find the cool movies. Um, and a lot of people, oh, animated cartoons, right? Like we talked about last time, my friend who thinks there's just like a, oh, cartoons and animated suck. You see Akira and you, oh, this is some next level shit <laughs> across yeah. all avenues of filmmaking. And so I think Akira is one of those movies that, changes your expectations of other movies after the fact 
It's one of those, uh, once you've seen Akira, you have entered, it's like you're a Pokemon who has evolved to a better yeah. cinephile. <laughs> I remember, uh, uh, so the new uh, new Beverly Cinema in, um, in LA does um, monthly screenings of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I went to the first one they ever did. Uh, they do these midnight shows where you can like bring stuff. They try to make it sort of like the room where you can bring shit and kind of do fun shit. Mm-hmm. So the first one I went to... Edgar Wright was there and he introduced the movie and he's like, I want to show you guys three trailers before the movie. Uh, two of them were the movie we were trying to make and one of them is not. So the first trailer that came up was the Super Mario Brothers movie, the live action one. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, that was the trailer of the that was the trailer they were of the movie they were trying to not make. And then there was a trailer for I can't remember what the other action movie was. And then finally, the last trailer they showed was the trailer for Akira. And mm-hmm. he was like, I was desperately trying to not copy this style, but pay the right respect to making the action feel like this. And I think that should show you the power of this movie, like the power of Akira through the last what? Let's see, it's 1988. So that's almost that's 30 years like this movie is so important to the blueprint of American cinema, which is amazing to say because it's anime that it informs so much of people's opinions about how to actually make uh, live action live action action movies. That's an amazing yeah. that's an amazing power to have. And not only that, that's an amazing thing that what originally started out as a manga uh, that's an amazing thing for a manga to have in the western in western culture. Yeah, no, I mean there is a joke among anime fans where it's, you know, the manga is always shown in the meme is like kind of a barely drawn figure. And then the anime is like a Mona Lisa where it's like perfectly fleshed out and amazing. Right. Right. And this is a great example. I mean, I was, I'm always struck. This is one of the most visually overwhelming movies I watch regularly. Right. Right. It's, I mean, the, the amount of tricks that they're throwing at you is baffling, right? Like, from the giant towering cityscapes, we almost never see the sky through huge portions of this movie, right? Right. This giant city that is overwhelming everything and making you feel trapped in a cage to when the motorcycles are driving by and that the it's two separate planes, right? Where the buildings in the background are sliding yeah. as the city in the foreground is stagnant, but then the lights on the motorcycle are making these beautiful trails. There's so much fucking vibrant energy as they go from shot to shot to shot in this movie right that you feel like you're riding on these insanely fast motorcycles you feel your head veins throbbing as the walls are being crushed about tetsuo it's i mean but that gets back to they are employing so many tricks of the animation craft to add this extra vibrance, like early in the film, one of the things that just blew me away was the the early shot when the agent is helping the little uh, gray boy escape. And he's like, run, get out of here. And he gets up with his gun. And the way they drew all the blood pooling out of him and then the, the muzzle flash and the vibrance of the guys unloading their automatic rifles to the bullets just tearing his fucking body apart. That lifeless corpse of this man, as those bullets are just shredding him, yeah, that is an enormous amount of life, not only in something animated, but in a dead body. <laughs> yeah, I think 
yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man. I think the most, and I use this word a lot, I know I do, but the most relevant thing I can say about this entire movie is just how visually arresting it is. Like, particularly that moment, I'm glad you brought that up, because honestly, that was the first thing I noted was how real everything felt. Like, nothing about that didn't hit me in a certain way where I was like, this is not, this doesn't feel animated. Like, there's like the rotoscoping stuff that like Ralph Bakshi did in the 70s, but this was animated but still felt like so real like there's nothing about like if i felt i was thinking about like because they're gonna make this into a live action movie finally with taika watiti directing and like i was like there's no way they're gonna make me feel (laughs) there's no there's no way i'm gonna feel as intense in that moment as when i'm watching this animated man like bleed out on the street and then just get lit up like it's amazing to me i mean i know everyone likes watiti i like watiti I, I just feel like this is an untouchable man. Like, yeah, uh, such a baseline important part of what this is, is the animation. And just seeing it computer animated, I feel like I'm just going to be mad. I hate being that guy, right? Like, I'm the nerd fanboy who doesn't like new people playing. I I <laughs> I just think, man, good luck. Good luck making it better than this. That's the question I always ask is what is the new thing you can add or what is the thing that needed to be corrected from this to the original? There's nothing, man. There's Sorry, nothing wait. here that yeah. ne- can be improved upon to me. Right. So no. there's, I mean, I, there's no oh, reason God. to improve. I, I don't know. It. That one, that it's, one gives me pause. Even hearing you say, and yeah. yeah. Again, so we can just get this out of the way. The animation is just unbelievably joyous in this movie. It is used to devastating impacts um not and i think what is really cool about it is that it's used so well like you said the the real world physics of what's happening making you feel the pain of people whose bodies are just turned into pudding um but also in the nightmare sequences they blend very seamlessly to these waking nightmares that that just kind of underlie the the horror and terror of children having these godlike abilities um i don't know there, there are so many things i love about this movie i love this movie as the post-apocalyptic landscape it becomes so this is neo tokyo after world like 30 years after world war three they say yeah the gigantic was, uh... buildings that hoard over us uh everything we see in this world and, and they do it a lot where they're just backgrounds for conversations and things happening but the background yeah. of the movie becomes so fascinating as we keep journeying through the story. Um, I love the world of Neo Tokyo. It's amazing. Everything about this, like the detail just in the background of this movie is just so fucking mind blowing. Like, I, I honestly like you could start like at the very opening like so there's the title cards and then like the very opening I love the way that they don't like over like when explosions happen and big things occur like the calmness and the quiet that they use is amazing <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that is but like well how the, many times the, in this movie is there just a background explosion like that seems to happen like every five minutes something blows up behind right. people and uh. Carnada, 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 and his gang just keep going about. What is it? Well, I think. Well, what in the English dub version they pronounce it Canada. I've always pronounced Carnitas. it Carnitas. No, just kidding. 
So Kaneda and his friends just keep going about their exact business as if a giant bomb right. hadn't just exploded at the mall. <laughs> right. But that's what I, I think that's what's so fascinating to me is like the, the choice to, and the guy who wrote the guy who wrote the anime, the guy who wrote the manga also directed it, which is really cool. But like, yeah, I think what's fascinating to me is the like choice to, when those big explosions goes off, like go off, like the first episode, like, or, sorry, episode Jesus, the first scene in the movie is the original Tokyo in 1988 exploding. And instead of yes. this like loud, con- loud percussive explosion, all you see is the impending explosion. You see it happen. White, black, 2019 Neo Tokyo. Like that choice to me is so fascinating. And choosing to like, just make the visuals like the real thing that grabs you. That's what makes this so different than any other anime or any other uh, animated movie that's come out. And that's why this is the blueprint for a lot of things. Yeah. But I mean, it also just works to develop so much because this, this kind of plays, I mean, the gang we follow, it's kind of a clockwork orange scenario when society is collapsing on so many different levels. Why would the kids buy in? Like we go to their school and the school is essentially a barren wasteland of nothingness where a PE teacher punches you in the face. So that's school. <laughs> Which I, and I then love you go that out scene, to the streets. The I do love that scene too. <laughs> but there are so many scenes where as they're flying around on their bikes and this and that, we rarely ever see interactions with normal civilians. Like it's not like they're driving. Right. It's like, oh, look at that, you know, corner cafe that's full of people just getting lattes. It's almost always demonstrators, military police, normal police, or biker gangs. You don't see a lot of day-to-day families walking about this world. And you get this. They do so many great scenes of here is um, Tetsuo escapes, and they're sitting down in, like, this industrial ruined area. And then the camera looks up. It's not that far from Neo Tokyo, like downtown Neo Tokyo. All the places they hang out look like these ruined, destroyed, desolate places. But yet we're to believe that this is a fully functioning city in the world, right? So just from that, the little bits we see, the highly focused in life of these chaotic teenagers that go to the mall but don't go in because it blows up, right? We see explosions. They're investigated by the police, explosions, riot lines, people in chains, fighting in shit water, right? Uh, Biker ganging it up. There's so many little things that make us, on a subconscious level, you're sitting there pondering, holy shit, what is going on in this city? And then extrapolating that out, what is going on in this world, right? We've learned that World War III has taken place, right? And this is obviously a big part of it. And this new fucking behemoth city has risen from the ashes of World War III. Right. Near, well, by the, the way, a I... giant empty crater may be the most important landmark that they keep coming back to. Well, and that's the thing that I think is most like striking to me about the whole movie in general is that it's not necessarily like, yes, we have the main through line, which is about Tetsuo and Kaneda and like their journey. The thing that's a really amazing to me, though, is like the military industrial complex plot line that really like follows through the film is all about is all about uh i mean it's very like cold warish where it's like about 
uh, raising arms and so on and so forth and utilizing the things that you don't know if you can control. Like it's basically, I mean, it's basically the argument. It's, it's a nuclear, it's a nuclear blast argument, but like, that's the kind of stuff that I think is so wonderful about this movie. Like, and so smartly written, like nobody, again, we uh, talked about this with Mononoke and it it happens again. And I feel like this is just, this is just a very wonderful, like, style of writing that happens with Japanese culture is that no one is necessarily the bad guy. Like what it is, is like Tetsuo becomes the bad guy at the end because he's corrupted by this great, a ma- great massive power he has. And then like the whole book, the whole time you're also thinking like maybe Shikishima is the bad guy. Cause he's trying to like harness this power or maybe control it. But really Shikishima is not even trying to do that. He's essentially trying to a get rid of the completely corrupt and like kind of, plaguish like government that that's running neo tokyo but also trying to avoid another cataclysm altogether like that's the kind of like that's the kind of nuance that i think is great about this this movie well right and this story i don't think it's you know coincidence that this story arises from the land that actually suffered nuclear devastation right and so Ex- what oh, no not at all does is it, you know, it's showing you this this government and world. I love the politician who describes Neo Tokyo as an an oversaturated peach or something like an oversaturated fruit. It's overripe. You know, it's swelling and there's money and hedonism and selfishness. All these things, right? They've forgotten the joys of reconstruction. I think the colonel says later, right? And right. so now it is just like we built this giant behemoth. We know it's all kind of. It could go at any day, so people just aren't caring as much. We cut to the government, and it's just a room full of people having these circular monologues. They're not discussing. Everyone in there already has their point staked out, and they're fighting. Even as we're on the verge of something really large happening, these riots, and him saying they have a new uh, child who's exhibiting this brain pattern, the government can't stop itself. You know, The people in the streets can't stop the rioting, no, nothing is functioning right. in this entire movie. And the point to take that world and then set us amongst just these kids. And, and they're hooligans, right. right? We see them running around on bike gangs, fucking each other up. And for right. sure, someone's died in one of these bike fights. For sure. One of the great action set pieces, you know. But it's... Oh, for sure, man. I, yeah, the, the bike scene is just unbelievable. But that's what I mean, right. though. So we're taking this big, overrotten world, and then we're just looking at these kids, right? The people who should be preparing to be the leaders of tomorrow, and even they don't buy in. They just say, ah, fuck it. Right. You know what well, I mean? It's, I it's, mean, that's... It's a weird place to put us, and I don't... The movie's almost plays constantly as this inevitability of failure of the structures, I mean, that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is though. Like it's the, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Damn. You just took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Like that's exactly what I would say. Like <laughs> it's like the inevitable. <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth about Akira. <laughs> like the, the inevitability, the inevitability of the collapse of our trust in the government, I guess. Like, Cause that's really kind of, it's amazing. Like you see the way this movie, like you see the way Neo Tokyo looks like all these great big monolithic buildings. And then when you're on the ground floor with the capsules and like that whole scene at the very beginning, 
like a cops are in riot gear all the time. And also these guys are just like literally fucking out in the middle of in the middle of like no in the middle of the public having these biker gang fights. That's a huge that's a huge like lack of lack of authority running the town. Like there's no like it's like the most failed police state of all time. I, I, I absolutely. Yeah, and not only that, I, it's it's a complete lack of self interest. There's no self interest yeah. in our lead characters, right? No. I mean, Kane does an interesting example because throughout the entire movie, he has a complete lack of interest in his own safety and well being. And it, yeah, it's these characters that have just grown up in this world. And this is the the interesting part about it too is for a city that was devastated by uh, the Akira incident. Everything just keeps moving on forward the exact same. Nothing has gotten better. And this this goes right. again to our, you know, there, there's this way to look at Tetsu and Akira at the end of, is this actually a step in the direction of the, the evolution of the next version of what will be? Or is this some kind of mutation? We're trying to reach too fast. We'll never be able to control this. We'll never be this. Um, and that's that's the funny thing, though, is, it still feels closer to truth because these people haven't learned anything. They're still talking about hosting an Olympics to help like mask all the problems as their streets right. are rioting and everything's happening. The The old politicians are worried right. about right. hosting the Olympics and the kids are yeah. in the streets just dying as biker gangs because I mean, I don't know. All teenagers are surly and wild by nature, I guess, but me and my friends weren't running around trying to fucking swing lead pipes at other kids' heads. <laughs> right. I mean, that's like, it's such a fascinating, it's such a fascinating world. And again, it just drops you right in the middle of it. Like it, it explains everything so succinctly with literally like, yeah, this whole place blew up and then they rebuilt it. So what do you think happened? Yeah. The opening is just imagery of the chaos and there's very little said in the opening of this movie. But they cram a lot of information at you really, really fast. Yeah, like a lot. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, they give you a lot of shit to deal with really quickly. And then as soon as you start getting into sort of like once Tetsuo's powers are awakened and the whole story of like what Akira was and um, the further, the deeper you get into like sort of the military industrial complex part of the story with. Um, when Tetsuo starts getting experimented on and everything, the more like you realize that, I don't know, it's such a fascinating, like I was trying to think about like what a lot of the time, like what is Akira trying to tell me about, po like what is Akira trying to tell me about post-World War II Japan for one? Like that story is, I think that story is probably one of the most important beats in the entire concept of Akira at, all, at large is like, what am I supposed to glean from that? Like, are we in a situation where are we re, are we trying to tell a story where Akira is about post World War II Japan, or is it about post World War II, or is it about the post World War II world at large? Like, are is every military industrial complex trying to get a leg up by building their bomb, like by building a new kind of bomb, by building a new kind of. Uh, building a new kind of power being the ultimate power like and then ultimately how does that corrupt and how does it how does it corrupt and how does it cause the collapse of the government at large i don't know this is a weird thread but i'm still just like trying to like grapple with 
what it is that Akira, besides being a great story, is trying to tell me about my world personally. Well, I think that's one of the best things this movie does is it gives you a pretty straightforward Frankenstein-style myth to follow, right? But it is this giant world of gray areas. And because it's this, you know, post-apocalyptic metropolis, it looks like, you can transport yourself into this world pretty easy in your world, right? So to me, yeah. it's it's very much in, in the politician scene. It's the, you know, often you find your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. And it's so fascinating. Listen to these guys. Is the colonel's like, we need this budget and this and that. And they're like, fuck you. One of the weird things I notice in the political scene is someone even brings up, how do we even know there was an Akira? Right? Did anyone ever see Akira? And you're like, oh, fuck. They have like Akira truthers as every day they can look out and see that giant crater. And so it is this they're in this arms race with seemingly no one else. They just assume that everyone else will do it if they don't. And probably the more interesting character to me in this regard than even the colonel, because he's constantly just I'm a soldier. I'm here to avoid threats, blah, blah, blah. Right. The scientist is actually probably the most devious person of the group. Because you get the feeling early on that Tetsuo is kind of a a lucky accident that falls in his lap. This kid who has these brain patterns. And he starts pushing him fast. And he's kind of like, well, maybe. Because the guy's like, can you control it or destroy it? And he's like, maybe. And the colonel does go along, right? He doesn't give him a good answer. And the colonel goes along. Well, he starts pushing it faster and faster. Later in the movie, we realize that their harmonic patterns or whatever is on that table were syncing up the whole time, and the the doctor knew. And now Tetsuo's body count is massive. And the colonel grabs yeah. him by the throat, you know, what the fuck? And he's just like, how could I destroy such a great specimen? And so right. this is, that to me is a lot what this movie is, is the the whole point of all these things we do, right? Building giant cities and making laws and all like early on, we were terrified we weren't going to be able to eat and animals would eat us. So we formed right. these bigger bonds and we cultivated plants to make our societies work. And then at a point, it feels like you're just trapped in this inevitable. Well, this is how we've done it. And the machine is moving. Right. Right. And there is this. Why do we keep pushing it further and further? You know, economists always talk about this. Uh, growth is the most important thing in the market. Always. Well, what happens when it can't grow anymore? You know, why do we keep pushing it? Why do we keep trying to make things faster and bigger and stronger? Uh, You know, is there a point? Haven't we already won evolution at this rate? (laughs) But there's always some guy who, I don't know if it's boredom or fear. You just keep taking it that extra step. But in this movie, you see it across all spectrums of life. Right. Right. And again, it's this Neo Tokyo is this overripe fruit. Well, it's that gold. It's the gold bloom edict from Jurassic Park. It's like your scientists thought so much about what they could do that they didn't think if they should do it. Like that's really yes. kind of like what this. That's so much to me about like what this movie is about is like what we can do. Like we can make this work. But it's like, but should you? Should you kidnap children who might be a little bit special and literally <laughs> lock them away until they're pale, ghostly children? Like, is that really the right thing to do? Should you? create a human weapon to the point where he can't control it has no idea what's happening to him and literally becomes a megalomani- megalomani- megalomaniacal psychopath 
that can't control what he's doing, but mm-hmm. is intoxicated by his own powers. Like that's right. That's to me, like the core of what Akira is about is the, the core. Of what Akira is about is two friends, like two friends and their dynamic changing. But at the end of the day, like really what it's about is two friends who will all who, two friends who are trying to look one friends trying to look out for the other. It's it's Kaneda's story. Like that's really kind of like what's important to me. And that's again another great another great example of uh, Japanese anime and Japanese filmmaking where I'm following the protagonist the whole time. Like, of course Tetsuo's cool and a lot of that's going on, but man, Kaneda's like so compelling and so fascinating throughout this movie because he just flips between like flippant like trying to get laid and like holy shit like the fate of the world is in our hands kind of shit. I love that the entire time, but ultimately, yeah, to me, Kaneda's movie... interesting too. Oh, so yeah, Kaneda's interesting too because he's one of the only characters that never stops and examines his place in the larger picture, right? No, he's, he's just, just go like go go. This. He's just a creature of the world that he's in, and he accepts it. He gets the super fast bike. He's down to fight. He's always trying to get like that's those are his things. He's a very base human right he's just his base desires uh that he's trying to give life to whereas every other character right tetsuo spends an inordinate amount of this friendship journey trying to be kaneda right to get the freedom that he has but he he cannot escape his own uh fears and his shortcomings of the past like that devastating flashback when we see him picked on at the orphanage and it was kaneda that was the one who saved him you know, right. he got his ass kicked, too, but he went and got the toy back in Tetsuo. Right. Well, that's a moment of endearing friendship to most of us. Tetsuo, that's almost an emotional scar that he's never able to rid himself of. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, that's what it it's it's amazing because like the it's about these two friends and Tetsuo and Kaneda are supposed to be these great friends. But I feel like a lot of the time and th- like through a lot of the movie, Tetsuo so much resents his friendship with Kaneda like and I do like. And at the beginning, you can see it because, like, he tries to hop. He's, like, asking to ride in uh, Kaneda's bike. He's like, man, you couldn't handle that. And so he puts him on the little puss bike, which is, like, that's, you know, whatever. That's what you do with a little brother. And, like, that's probably kind of what their dynamic is. So, but I think what's even more fascinating is by the end of the movie, that dynamic remains so much the same. Like, even though Tetsuo is exploding into this giant, like, techno-organic monstrosity that is absorbing everything in front of him. The dynamic <laughs> is still there where like Tetsuo is like screaming for Kaneda's help. He can't control it. What do I yes. do? It's like, this is exactly what, this is exactly why this is, this is why Kaneda wouldn't let you ride his motorcycle. You can't control the power that you're holding in your hands. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that shot too. Cause it, it's devastating on an emotional level. The other thing you realize yeah. too is Tetsuo could have killed Kaneda 50 times during this fight. He keeps letting Kaneda exist to keep fighting him almost because he's, he's waiting for the, as he keeps letting him take pot shot with the lasers and whatever, he could easily crush him. We see him fly up and bring down a satellite, you know, and smash tanks. And he's got this Dr. Manhattan vibe going. Kaneda's no threat to him, but he keeps letting him get really dangerously close with these lasers and feel like they're fighting simply because he needs to watch Kaneda fail at defeating him. He he needs Kaneda to realize he can't defeat him and beg him for help. 
Like one of the best right. shots in the movie is when that laser comes down the first time. Uh, you know, Tetsuo's sitting there all, you know, armless and hunched over. And <laughs> and Kaneda's walking up this little tiny ridge right above him with a big ass rock. Cause he's like, I'm just gonna drop this fucking rock on you. Like, I'm not done fighting. I'm just gonna keep and he, it's literally the the apes at the start of 2001, like, in the face of this god who I can't beat with lasers or satellites, I'm going to fucking drop this rock on you, bitch. <laughs> He's just – and he doesn't stop to think, like, oh, my god, I'm fighting the next step. I'm fighting a monstrosity yeah. that I can't def- – he's like, I'm going to kill you with this rock. It's Right. But that that scene right there, to me, sums up their journey in such an awesome way. Yeah. And Tetsuo I, yeah. actually saves him from the laser in that scene. True. But – Again, like, and then Carnada just continues his assault upon him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just so much of this movie that's. I I absolutely I just love I love Tetsuo I love Tetsuo and Kaneda's dynamic. Like, they spend so much of the movie apart, and then when they see each other, like it's this. It is like so much this like brother relationship. This is how my brother and I like we're like oddly advantageous. Or, like we're oddly like adversarial. But it's still like it's not that I don't love my brother. It's just we just have that relationship. It's just the way it is. So I think that's what's fascinating and that's really kind of ultimately what makes this movie so compelling, especially at the very end when like Akira finally emerges and sort of like reabsorbs Tetsuo to like reabsorbs Tetsuo. And what like, did you what did you think of the Akira reveal? Oh, I love that. Like that's the kind of thing like every time I've seen this movie, like I love that like I like that reveal a lot. Like, I don't know. It's just, I also, I love, like, I love the look they start with. Like, that's the thing that I yeah. think has always been the most, like, that's the thing that I love the most about it. Like, he's, like, pure energy, and then he, like, shrinks down to this little boy with a skeleton. Like, I, I think that fucking. Well, he starts off as a test tube full of organs. <laughs> that so reveal, awesome. I remember the first time I saw that just being like, wait, what, what, what? <laughs> like, my mind is like, what is happening? Because Akira has made contact in the movie already. He was speaking yeah. to Tetsu, Tetsuo earlier. And when you see right. it's just his biomass. And what I love about this, too, it play, God, the, the Akira reveal is one of my all-time favorite movie moments. What I love about it, too, is it's as we're watching Tetsuo, he's, he's starting to lose control. And the way they manifest him losing control is his power is seemingly melding with the actual city. You know, right. he has become part of this never-ending struggle, right? The struggle of the city and the, the you know, people of flesh and blood fighting back against these oppressive systems. He's melded into one, and now he can't control it. So like the city himself, it's this giant, explosive, chaotic mix. And Akira coming back is just these little bio parts that were remaining, but then being awoken. They're, they're, it brings yeah. back this... There's this weird moment in the film where you're like, wait, is Akira the force? Because <laughs> the they talk about like oh, Akira's I've... within all of us. We all have the latent uh, potentiality of Akira within us. And it's only when it's awoken, you must choose how you are. It's like, oh, my God, he's a Metachlorian. Akira's a Metachlorian. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of true. Like, that's kind of what it is. Like, it's. I mean, what it is is it's like the well-written version of uh, the episode one theorem. Like that's right? really kind of what it is. George Lucas is like, I'm gonna nail this. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
But yeah, I, I like the <laughs> spirituality of Akira at the end, right? Is that he was this uncontrollable young maniac who was exploded and they tried to scrape him together from what remained of him because they thought they could piece together what he is. But this reveal of him as this kind of energy being, it just shows you yeah. all the extra connective magical stuff about us that this is the the element that the government bureaucrats and the army and even the people riding in the streets don't appreciate. That's the stuff that we can't quantify. So this growth and yeah. science for the sake of growth and science are getting so far away from this mystical truth that we will never understand about ourselves and why we're here. And Akira represents right. that in a really beautiful way. And again, we go back to this, this cleansing light. And they talk about Akira as that, oh my God, it's the same particle mixture as the beginning of the universe. Right. Right? That he is essentially this clean slate, unscathed, untouched, right? And just resetting all of this fucking mess that we've created and uh, bringing the other children in Tetsuo in. I, I love the way they unveil Akira at the end of this. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's kind of what the point of Akira is. like, And that's the thing that I love about the end is like they sort of Akira basically becomes this singularity into another level of existence, you know, and like he takes like it's interesting because then you think about the very beginning and maybe that's the idea is like Akira was never meant to be this like weapon. Akira was meant to be the reset. It's the uh, it's the cleansing fire, you know, so yeah. rather than mass destruction. They, re so what we're seeing is mass destruction is wrong. It's we're supposed to see it as this cleansing fire. It's a way to start over. And then we start over. Neo Tokyo is what we start over with in 2019 where you're like well of course we need to start over again this place is a fucking mess and like we tried it once and it sucked like so akira akira being in all of us feels like the metaphor for the movie which is akira is essentially akira is all of us trying to do better so when we don't yeah the reset yeah i mean they talk a lot about this pandora's box aspect of it right and I, right. I think that's the other thing, too, is there's this I like the way Akira and the kids say it at the end is that we can't control it yet, but I think we will someday because it has begun. Right. Right. So th this is this inevitable journey to something else, whatever it is. Right. You get the sense that once Tetsuo explodes with Akira this time, that it's right. just all going to fall back in line and it's going to keep happening. But. There's a moment at the end, even when Kaneda grabs that little bit of light, you know, that they seemingly makes this thing is like the last little bit of Tetsuo that belongs to him in a weird way. You know, right. their their bond or their love that I don't know if this is to be taken as that the awakening has begun in him and may begin in some others now or if the city just will overwhelm them and this cycle continues to happen because they talked about Ooh. World War Three was set off because of the Akira incident. So we could do another right. World War Four and keep going. But the question is, how many times can you keep pushing this further and further uh, before that white light gets bigger and bigger and bigger? So I, I don't know. I what do you think happens the at the end of this movie? Do they just keep going or because they kind of do the, the this is a beautiful visual motif, right? Of the the actual sunlight pouring through the cloud breaks. And just kind of like washing like a highlight over bits of the destroyed city and the chaos. So to yeah. me, I took that as a this could be an illustration of what's wrong and they could do better. 
Or will we forget the joys of rebuilding our world like the colonel said earlier? What do you think is the next step after this movie ends? Well, I think that like like Kay, for instance, Kay is to like develop Kay develops the psychic powers. She's the one that like the uh, female Esper's been like focusing her energy through the whole time. Like uh-huh. maybe maybe that's the reset. Maybe it's not it's not power, it's thought. Like the power of thought rather than the power of the ability to move things with your mind. Like Again, I think Kay, like in, a, in another way, is like maybe Kay's the the answer because she's a woman, and rather than being a dude who's a total dick, which you know, very pop, very very possible because you know, we're all <laughs> power, we're all power hungry animals. But like more to the point, like Kay developing psychic abilities rather than developing psychokinetic abilities is very diff, is very important. Like I think being able to hear the world rather than see it and change it physically would probably be the next step in this story. Yeah, it's interesting because they show the colonel makes it out. Yeah. And that makes me not optimistic because he was the guy in the face of this giant <laughs> yeah. techno blob who's like, unload my pistol at him. You know, that dumb right. guy motif of I'm going down with my pistol. And you're like, oh, shit, you're the worst. But then they also showed the rebellion leader and the politician yeah. who had been funding the the riots. He dies you know, in a bloody mess in an alley with his fucking overflowing bag of money. So you're kind of like parts right. of the problem are disappearing, but this the soldier is still well, there, and he talks about his lack of imagination in all of these problems. Well, I don't I think I mean, that's always feels, kind of the way I look at. It, okay, well here here's my theory, right? The way I look at Akira is that they say if Akira's woken this time, he'll be too powerful to stop. I think there's something important about. Those kids making the choice that they'll try to save Kaneda and Kaneda trying to save Tetsuo, right? That more psychic minds are now linked to this Akira phenomenon, that they're with him. That maybe this is why it's better and different and can't be stopped this time is because it's this bringing in of other minds. Okay. I mean, yeah, that could, I, I buy that. I, I mean, Kaneda yeah, I gets more... out. There's no survivors of the first Akira blast, right? Right. Well, I think yeah, more than more than one, more than one host of this power. Yeah, like spreading the power out. Like rather than there being one singularity. Yeah, I could buy that. Like the idea being that from now on, the world will be better off by more than one person being able to be like this. Not necessarily that yeah, power. It's not a lawnmower man. It's spread ending. out. <laughs> What's that? I said it's not a lawnmower man ending. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I was really reaching to try to like place more specific meanings. I feel like I feel like at the end of it, what they're trying to let us know is the inevitability of this struggle, right? And I right. think that kind of the hopeless there is no tomorrow attitude of the teenagers is reinforced by this world where we're just going to constantly keep doing these cycles until something breaks everything. Right. right. And this explosion didn't go far enough in breaking anything. Cause we see that now there are just two craters side by side as if one giant explosion crater is not enough to learn the lesson. And I mean, I think even in the real world, we're kind of learning that lesson. Like we still just keep building bigger and bigger murder devices and you're like, right. at a certain point, right, it's just mutual destruction. We're all just going to go down together at this rate. So I think that is kind of sadly the human nature. 
I like too that the little gray kids, the ones that look like chewed bubble gum, and the one looks like Louis yeah. Anderson, who are just yes, like the one who looks never like should have given. <laughs> you shouldn't have given this power to someone as old as Tetsuo. Right. Right. That his scarring and bonding to the bad things of this world. Right. Are inevitably well, they, going to turn him down the wrong. Well, path. they say like those little bubble gum kids say that in the movie anyways. Like they're like, you shouldn't have this power. This shouldn't be yours. And yeah, I think that's what it is. Like only children can wield it because children have the imagination and the capacity to actually hold on to that amount of power. Like I look at my kid now and he's, he's, he's seeing everything for the first time. And I can't imagine what he's really thinking because everything is just exploding in his brain. But I know that his, <laughs> like, before we start putting up constructs and before we start building these houses and these walls around his imagination, his imagination is big enough to contain such ideas that I can't even, I can't even conceive of them. And I think that's probably why children are always a like the best hosts of like such power because a, they're like exciting because you never know when they're going to blow up because that's kids. But also (laughs) they aren't, Only one of them went nuclear. That's pretty good odds. But also they're not (laughs) bound by the constructs of, they're not bound by constructs of morality of uh, society because they're not engendered that way yet. They're not endeared to us at like by, by that they're only endeared by love. They're not endeared by loyalty, honor or any of that other stuff. Well, they're not, they're not, they haven't already been in the system long enough to just go, well, this is how it's always been and get that hopeless feeling of it's too hard to change these big things. I don't think it's a coincidence that two of them live in bubbles and the third one gets out and only witnesses murder and mayhem. Right. Right. (laughs) I think maybe the the evil creepy nursery is the best place they can be. Right. Well, I mean, when Tetsuo goes and tracks them down, like you go into like their little like playroom, which is literally just, uh, I don't know, Studio Ghibli amusement park. Like I even feel like I saw, uh, I feel like our neighbor Totoro is one of the, like the big animals in it. Like he's like one of the animals in it. Uh, but again, it's just one of those things where like, no, yeah, there's definitely no, there's no irony and there's no coincidence in the concept that children are the ones who are uh, holding on to this power, and help, like, and not only that, held in a place where they can only experience good things. But again, this goes back to that though. Like, Kaneda, yes, is a kind of a dick, and you know, at the same, like, he values his friends, but the experience of living your life has a huge impact on the way you view when you have the ability to when you have the ability to change things that really does impact your when you have the ability to change things that impacts that it definitely impacts how you decide to change the world and i think the problem is tetsuo has been through so much and he's decided to kind of take this power and harness it for what he believes is the good of himself rather than the good of the world yeah, I mean, he's like, had enough. This is the thing, right? He is the, the wild, uncontrollable, uh, you know, I found the genie and I'm going to go fucking Jafar. Whereas Kaneda's right. like, man, this, this is what it is. I'm going to get laid and drive around fast. Right? right so he's right. like the, the primitive animal brain. And Tetsuo's the, <laughs> I am an aggrieved, abused child. I'm going to take my revenge, right? So there are right. two sides of a, trauma, of a traumatized child. 
And the other kids are almost, and that's why they've shrunken into these little gray old people is they've never gotten to live a life. They sit there and just ponder these bigger problems the whole time. It's insane. It's yeah. I don't, it's, it's it's a weird, it's such a visually fun journey, but I feel like I'm left with so many really fun, big ethical questions at the end of this movie. Oh yeah. 100%. Like, I think that's what makes this movie so important and so fascinating. And so, ultimately like worth watching multiple times because not only is it visually incredible, but like, I, I, again, I, I see something different every time I watch this movie, I feel something different yeah, every time me I watch too. this movie. It's just, I feel the same it's way. An am- and it, it's an amazing, and it's crazy film. because you know that there's going to keep being these incidents. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what they talked about. And this is probably again, alludes back to the nuclear bomb thing is once you've seen that, everyone's chasing that not that it's right you know because they even talk about the kids when they're in the the white light we can't control it yet and we're gonna keep trying and i think that is them saying it from the noble place right these this childish optimistic place but what's really gonna happen is every everyone else is gonna be like fuck they've got these little kids that turn into these giant city erasing bombs we gotta have that you can't when you see that there are only two things it's, you know, you can change your behavior for good or be terrified into continuing down these destructive paths. And I, I feel like this is a world that's saying, Hey man, be very careful because you're probably on this precipice right now. It's a world of escalation. Like I think that's the thing that I, that's the thing I take away the most from Akira is that it's about the dangers of not just, weapons escalation but just the escalation of the world population uh existence at large like the escalation of the escalation and instance we have of like not taking care of our world as we know it and rather escalating it beyond our grasp and making sure that like oh there's at least some sort of like there's some sort of infrastructure involved but like we don't really care what it is like that's what leads to these like biker gangs of children running around the streets and not giving a shit and then, like, you know, that's what causes giant post-apocalyptic explosions. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it, it's an evergreen uh, end of the world, this movie, right? Because yeah. you have uncontrollable youth that don't want to think about tomorrow in a world that doesn't value them. You have a rebellion that never really states what its actual goals are. It's just trying to destroy the system. You have a system who has no idea what its goals are. It just wants more weapons and a giant flashy Olympic game. So this is the kind of (laughs) right. Every group of society has a complete lack of faith or ideas or higher purpose. And they're all just kind of running blindly towards cliffs. And the only person that seemingly might be better off is if not Akira, maybe the kids with him. Because he's already gone through the destruction and has, in a way, rebuilt himself. Now, when Akira appears as that blue ghost, is that actually Akira reforming and constituting himself? Or is this some of the the children's psychic power reconstituting their their mythological version of him? Right? We never really know if that's like the Akira or not. You know? Is this just the kids reconstituting? Because the kids pray in front of him and that's when the bubbles start. 
And then all right. of a sudden there's this blue Akira and we know they can make other images and whatnot. So yeah, at the end, we don't know if that white light is actually coming from Tetsuo himself. If the three kids are kind of reconstituting the Akira and giving him uh, the, that's interesting. Yeah. the vision that he's exploding. We don't again, but it doesn't even matter to me if it is actually Akira or not. Cause Akira, no. when they lift the Akira tomb and it ends up just being this gigantic, metal monstrosity right this infrastructure monstrosity around this myth that we already know there's an occult a cult of akira that dies in the streets uh there are akira deniers it's just become this idea and when they open it up and it's nothing to me it doesn't matter at the end if that little blue ghost figure is actually akira or not it's equally as powerful to some people tetsuo is now akira it's just this i and that's again that gets back to the and I think this is the brilliant idea is that inside all of us, there is this Akira, right? There is a right. an ability to destroy and reclaim and rebuild or the ability to just wipe out and annihilate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the long and short of it. It's uh, about the power of an idea, I guess I would say. That's it, guys. Lo- that's it for Akira. I love it. <laughs> I, yeah, love Akira. I love this movie, guys. Uh, it's one of those great movies that you can... Uh, my grandma used to say this about David Lynch's Dune, which is strange. <laughs> but she's like, Josh, okay. it's my favorite movie because every time I watch it, it's a new movie. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I love my Nana. I love my Nana. That explains a lot about my life, I'm sure. But I actually do feel that way about Akira. I feel like as the landscapes of your world changes and your personal landscape, like you can always find something weird in this movie because everyone is just kind of wild ids running around uh guys i think this is an all-time great movie i hope you enjoy it share it with your friends share the show with your friends leave us ratings and reviews all the good stuff next time we talk heavy metal are you as excited as i am for heavy metal alex (laughs) oh i am so psyched for giant titties i couldn't have said it better myself (laughs) For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Peace.